Amen. Good to be with you today. How are you all doing here at online? Okay. It's been a crazy, um, crazy days, isn't it? Um, crazy things going on. First of all, I want to begin by saying thanks to Pastor Ryan. They're leaving. Pastor, thanks to Ryan and the worship troop. They do a great job. Give them a hand for all the work they do every week. And would you sit around and say thanks to our folks in the sound booth and the tech folks for all they're doing. This is a lot of stuff going on. Folks way smarter than I am doing that. Um, uh, Pastor uh, Scott and, um, needs a break. He's kind of old. And um, I'm pretty sure he has not had a Sunday off this entire year. I know since COVID started and not before. So he and Debbie are getting some rest uh, away. And so obviously we mentioned in prayer they've had some recent friends who have lost. And that is tragic. But we pray that God would give them grace and strength uh, during this time. Uh, we are still in Matthew 13. As Scott has mentioned, um, he and I are city kids, and we're talking about farming. He and I know nothing about farming, so um, we're a bit at a loss. We'll do the best we can. The invitation for us today is this, uh, and it's an analogy that Scott uses often. What kind of glasses are you wearing? Um, I'm noticing that the glasses I have, um, I'm not, they, they don't help me here or there, so I'm going to get some new glasses. Um, but today we'll just kind of put it in two options. There's more options than that. We'll go with two. Um, what does it mean to have glasses or lenses of empire on how you see the world? What you value, value as significant and important versus, right? Glasses. Glasses of the kingdom of heaven. Um, the passage we're going to get to today will start out on several times. Scott didn't give me one parable, but like 85. No, just five parables. Um, the kingdom of heaven is like. Um, you recall from the beginning of Matthew 13 um, was a passage about, and actually if you read the Bible, it's weird. The beginning of that story is titled the parable of the soils. By the time we get to the explanation, it's called the parable of the sower, which I think is a better designation. Um, RDS, um, Scott Shaw offered a great message a couple years ago um, on that passage where he talked about God being a crazy farmer who was not strategic or intentional, but was throwing that seed. And God's like that. God keeps throwing the good news in places it doesn't belong, where there's not much prospect of hope. God keeps throwing the gospel in many places. That's Wesleyan folks. That's called provenient grace. That God keeps about moving in places where what good can come from Nampa? Or Nazareth or whatever. I'm sure it's a variation of the spelling, right? The desire, and let's be clear about this, God's desire and intention is that all the world would be saved. Remember the promise he gave to Abram in the covenant? You'll be blessed. Many descendants, stars in the sky, sand in the seashore, and Genesis 12, 3b, and may through you all the families or peoples of the earth be blessed. That all is a big all. I'm reminded in this season, in thinking about what all means, of the great text from Revelation chapter 7. Here are a few verses here. After this, I looked, and there was a great cloud that no one could number. And hear this line. They were from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They wore white robes and held palm branches in their hands. They cried out with a loud voice. 
Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Every tribe, every language, every tongue. That's the vision of the new creation kingdom that wants to go everywhere. Last week, Pastor Scott led us in the next parable. It's a parable of uh, the weeds and the wheat. It was a great sermon. Just ask Pastor Scott and he'll tell you how good it was. No, it was pretty good. No, I'm great. One of my favorite lines from last week's sermon was the notion of when we stop believing in the devil, we often make our enemies the devil. We could talk a long time about that line. It's really important. If I were to add one comment to that last week's text, I'm not so sure that we're going to label like Carrie as a weed and Ralph as a wheat. And it's not about a person being either or. I imagine within each of us, we have weeds and wheat within. And what God desires to do through this thing we call sanctification, this ongoing process of finding those weeds in our life, those places of pain and hurt and addiction, and weeding those out, that God's harvest of wheat of love and grace might flourish in and through us. Well, today, we've got more farming. Again, I'm not very helpful. And there's baking. I'm good at baking because I eat things. I actually don't bake at all. Um, my uh, mother-in-law and my, uh, my mom makes great cookies, by the way. And my mother-in-law makes great bread. My wife and daughter are also great bakers. And I'm just a good eater. So you got to be, you need eating. So that's part of the process. I have to confess to you in our text today, I'm struggling because of my great teachers, Wendell Bowes and George Lyons. There's way too much in this text to get into, but we'll do our best. So as you're able to stand, I invite you to stand today for the gospel text. It will be in Matthew 13, verses 31 through 33, then verses 44 through 52. Um, and we read from the Common English Bible. He told another parable to them. And pay attention to these words. The kingdom of heaven is like, we'll hear that again, like a mustard seed that someone took and planted in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it's the largest of all vegetable plants. It becomes a tree, so that the birds in the sky come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, which a woman took and hid in a bushel of wheat flour until the yeast had worked its way through all the dough. Let's get down to verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that somebody hid in a field, which someone else found and covered up. Full of joy, the finder sold everything and bought that field. And the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one very precious pearl, he went and sold all that he had, all that he owned, and bought it. And the kingdom of heaven is like a net. People threw into the lake and gathered all kinds of fish. When it was full, they pulled to the shore where they sat down and put the good fish together into containers. But the bad fish they threw away. That's the way it will be at the end of the present age. The angels will go out and separate the evil people from the righteous people and will throw the evil ones into a burning furnace. People there will be weeping and grinding their teeth. Have you understood all these things, Jesus, Jesus asked? They said to him, yes. That's a lie. Then he said to them, therefore, every legal expert who has been trained as a disciple for the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings old and new things out of their treasure chest. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The kingdom of heaven is like. One of the themes, if there's kind of one main theme you'll see 
in these texts is the kingdom of heaven comes in unassuming places and unassuming times, and with the wrong lenses on, you might not even notice. I had the privilege of growing up in Seattle. I went to Seattle Aurora Church, hence we've known the Daniels for a long time. Pastor Theron was our pastor. Uh, during that span, my dad worked for Sears and Roebuck, um, which will probably eventually bankrupt soon. We don't know. <laughs> um, but at that time, they were doing pretty well, and dad got a job to go to Chicago. So that meant we were going to Chicago. Um, at that time, basketball was, um, all, basketball was all of my favorite sport to play and to watch. And at that time, though, we also uh, had baseball trading cards, right? You know, baseball cards come and trade those. They've been around for a long time. Uh, during the 80s, it was fun. You'd go and, like, trade this or that thing. And um, brand new were kind of basketball cards. They kind of felt kind of fake because it wasn't only had baseball cards. But anyway, my, I was with some friends of ours, and they were kind of joking. There was a, a cool young player, uh, and they said, hey, you're going to Chicago. We'll trade you these two little cards. They're worth a dollar. And kind of our joke was, go get them signed and send one back to us. So like, sure, nothing of it. And a couple years later, I kept thinking to myself about those cards and that player. And I realized it was only with a doll at that time. What if it's grown in value? And I looked, and I did find that I have two Michael Jordan rookie cards. Now, I actually haven't got this graded. It has, it's off-center, so it's not worth lots of money. But it started out really small and insignificant. Little kids, hey, joking around with a dollar card. can be worth more money eventually. The kingdom of heaven, with the wrong lenses on, you're going to miss it for a long time. It's about things that are hidden. And with, it, with the glass of the empire on, you might not see it. Um, the kingdom of heaven is going to come in packages like Jesus, the Son of God, born not in a palace, among the animals, to peasants, in an occupied country. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like, and often how many of us still miss it. I'm convinced that if Jesus were alive today, and farming metaphors are not bad, I just don't have much clue to them, I'm sure if Jesus was preaching today, he would kind of, you know, drop on social media, be a part of the Insta-Twitter, right, or whatever it's called, the TikTok, whatever, I, don't, I think. But he'd also be, I'm convinced, Jesus would be not only a master tweeter, but a master memer. I'm just to be one of the memes that Jesus might offer to us today if he was here. If you don't know what it means, ask your kids or grandkids and they'll tell you. It's okay. You're still a wonderful person. Um, it is the idea in our session that the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, growing up, had great teaching, uh, great parents, right? Great church. Somehow, I imagine heaven was my version of a personal utopia where I get everything I want. Um, ironically, as I got older, that's how a lot of folks describe hell, which is very interesting, by the way. Um, it is the idea the kingdom of heaven um, is not also about leaving this place. One of the things that both Pastor Scott and I are convinced by, via N.T. Wright and the Gospels and the New Testament, is heaven is not about us leaving this and going out there, but about God bringing heaven here. Also, this is clear from the Gospels, the kingdom of heaven is not just simply a future reality, but the kingdom of heaven began in Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, in our great theological world, we celebrate that there's an already the kingdom. God has and is doing great things. Amen? 
Okay, I know there's not many of you. That was not awesome. God's doing great things, amen? All right, oh, there we go. But in amidst what is going well, we also recognize the places that are falling short. Um, for all the blessings and cursings of our season and social media, this is certainly a time when many folks are sharing places of pain in their life. A lot of those folks are sharing paces of play, uh, pace, sorry, places of pain, thank you, from their experience in local churches. I have to confess, those stories do break my heart. I also have to be nervous, too, and that sometimes I want to get a little defensive about when I hear those stories. But God has helped me. Some of you know, and something I preach about almost every time, is that we must recover in our churches the places of lament. Friends, the church will, can handle the laments of the people. Don't forget, the biggest category of songs in the Psalter, the middle, right, the big one, are laments. There are folks saying to God, God, you have failed us. You weren't good enough. Now, somewhere along the line, we've thought that's illegal worship, like pull out a flag, right, 15-yard penalty. Bad worship, Ryan, right? But unfortunately, if we cannot share our laments, our pain and our struggle, our praise becomes shallow and inauthentic. Friends, laments are not simply pious whining. They are grounded in hope that things should and can be better. So let me encourage me and us, for those who are listening to lots of laments, we don't need to get defensive about those things. By the way, these aren't new issues. They are issues that have been kept in the darkness, that we have shoved away the margins and not allowed folks the space to share from their places of pain. Some of you know, Diane, I just finished our book on the atonement, um, where we think a lot about in the church. And I love the church deeply, but we've not paid attention to those who have been sinned against. So in this season of lament, we shall not be defensive. But we want to hear and recognize that God wants to do new things for to put a bandit on the cancer, it's not going to get better. It's not fun, but to hear these stories of lament to me is a sign of where healing can begin to come and to flow. So we deal with our text today. And again, these issues of seeds being planted is connecting all along the way to that first parable of the sower seed going everywhere to last week's sermon where there's wheat and wheat together. And then we have this mustard seed. We got the next slide. So, um, I'm not a farmer. Supposedly, the internet gods have told me that's a mustard seed. If it's not, then you can correct me. Um, but that's what the mustard And it is small. Now, when I grew up as a kid, in fact, I didn't have the CEB, and I look back at other versions I had. I just assumed, and I just read the Bible text, it's a small seed, grows in the biggest trees. Well, I looked this week, and of course, I asked my wife, and she, of course, looked at me like, duh, you didn't know this, but I didn't because I'm not a farmer. Um, the mighty mustard Seed produces, you know how big it becomes? It's about that big. Two to four feet. And it's not a tree. It's a bush. Now, why does he use the word tree? Even the CEB is tree again. And we think that the scholars think that Jesus is using a metaphor. 
For kingdoms of power and prestige use trees of mammoth force, right? From the Old Testament, right? The cedars of Lebanon, right? Or for us North Americans, the sequoia, the redwoods of California, right? The massive trees, wide, tall. If I want a kingdom, I want a sequoia, and Jesus picks a bush. That, again, is not accidental. You see, with the eyes of empire, bushes look insignificant. We want sequoias. But to put back on the lenses of the kingdom, things that look insignificant can become mighty and powerful. I love this quote I got from one of the scholars this week. Jesus as the king who operates in meekness and rides a donkey into Jerusalem and not a war horse can be represented by a kingdom symbolized by a garden herb rather than a great tree. It is a model as Jesus is our king. He modeled power by serving by loving. And all these ideas of the kingdom of heaven is not just good information for that place here or there, but for those who put on the glasses, who want to be citizens of that kingdom, it invites us to, in some ways, be like Jesus. What does that mean for us in our world today? What does it mean for us as we consider what greatness looks like. Let's go to baking. Again, I'm not a baker, but I'm an eater, so I feel like I have some knowledge of this process, at least the last part of it. Um, when he talks about this little yeast a woman takes, and the yeast works itself into the dough. In fact, he says the woman hides the yeast in the dough. Um, a couple things are interesting for us. First of all, for Jews, that would have been awkward, because often in Jewish literature, yeast was bad. Right? Yeast was never spoken of positively, but here, which is a positive connotation. Two, one thing I've been told, I wouldn't know by a fact, that a little yeast goes a long way. Things that appear insignificant with the eyes of empire, with the power of the Spirit, God can do amazing and mighty things. Amen? And then lastly, again, the text is clear. Um, the woman doesn't need, place, work in. The word is she hid the yeast. In this sense, similarly, the kingdom of God, when you have eyes of the empire on, it will not be seen. It'll appear not worthy of attention, not glorious or glamorous or powerful. The question for us today is this, what glasses are you wearing for yourself and for others? We don't have two other parables, um, switching out of, from the seeds to uh, the baking, now to the treasure. I mean, like my little Jordan card there. Um, folks find a treasure, and they sell all they can to get it. This is a parable about discipleship. This is asking you and I a little question. What is the most important thing 
in your life. Think about that. What, is the, what would you sell everything for to take? Um, I think in the sound of my voice, either online or in this room, several of you had the blessing of being one of my students. Uh, one of the great assignments that I give to my Intro to Theology class, and there was a time, by the way, when like 78% of NNU students had to have me, had a hard time escaping me, so congratulations for those who escaped. Good job. Um, being a dean, I teach a little bit less, so it's, I'm, I'm sad about some of that. One of the assignments we do is called a My Theology Paper. And in that paper, I ask students to address kind of three main things. And that actually, it's harder than you might think. Number one, what do you believe? Okay, that's not too bad. But two, why do you believe that? And third, and this becomes um, the most challenging, how does that belief impact how you live? It is the idea that what we do matters. So some students are still, they're not sure about that. They're not sure how to process that. My phone is going off. That was really exciting. Where's that noise coming from? My phone, that is really weird. Someone's, it's, it's Christian music, so that's good. That was really exciting. Okay, we'll put the phone here. So one option I have for my students is, um, we'll take a month and videotape your life. 24-7. Any takers? We'll skip, then we'll, then we'll watch it in class. We'll like fast forward the boring parts when you're sleeping, you know. And you don't have to write a paper because we will see by what you do, will declare what you believe. So, in a non-judgmental way, think about the last month of your life. Where has your time and attention and focus been after? What glasses have you been wearing through that month? You see, what we do exposes what's valuable to us. Well, uh, for part of our story, we were in Seattle. We we're heading to Chicago. That got sidetracked. We ended up going to Phoenix instead. Uh, in Phoenix, we were at a great church, and uh, my youth pastor um, was a professional golfer. Um, he actually never made the PGA. He had some crazy stories about not making the PGA, um, bizarre um, kind of providential, uh, but he was a phenomenal golfer. And he taught me how to golf, not that it shows, because I'm now old and, you know, have kids. So, you know. You know. Um, but um, those who play in golf tournaments, you might know, you guys know what a ringer means? Is that a, a, a ringer? Okay, I'll, what that means is when you're playing on a golf tournament, you usually have four people. And you want at least one of them to be really good. And so my youth pastor was really good, so he got asked to be on these amazing tournaments. There's a tournament in Phoenix this one day about professional athletes coming together. And so um, he was asked to be on a, on a team, and so he went and played and whatever, and that was great. Uh, he called me up about like 11.30 and he said, Brent, you doing anything? And that was a Saturday. I said, no, I'm, you know, nothing. Come on, come on with me. So he picked me up, and we go to a golf course, golf course, but we don't have our clubs. I'm like, well, what are we going to do? He says, just trust me. I'm like, okay, whatever. So we go into the clubhouse, and he says, there was no one there. He says, except there was a guy at the, 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 the pro shop, and he said, so uh, is there anybody here that uh, we should know about today? And the guy says, no. Go to hole eight. Okay? So he walked out to hole number eight. And who was there? Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Now, this was in 1990, uh, before he had won any championships. 
So I'm pretty sure it was my meeting him that set him on a course to his sixth. That was in the last dance. Those of you who watched it, that was in the uncut part. The cut, the cut, yeah. Um, but we walked from two or three holes. Danny Ainge, those of you basketball fans, and some other folks were there. And I was uh, starstruck, literally. Um, during that time, uh, you know, I was a good Christian, went to high school, about 2,500 students. Um, I was, you know, a good undercover Christian. So I didn't behave badly, but I wasn't like forthright about my faith. However, I will say that next Monday when I got to school, I broke all the rules. I was a sophomore. I started talking to random seniors. That's illegal in high school, right? I told them, I met Michael Jordan. I'm like, everyone I could come across. I couldn't help but tell them how I met. A couple weeks later, my youth pastor said, Brent, wasn't that fun meeting Michael Jordan? Yes, it was. It was so cool. And he said, I heard you told some of your friends at school about meeting him. Yes, it's been so fun. They love my stories. He said, how many of those folks have you told about Jesus? Well, that got awkward. And he wasn't beating me up. He was kind and gracious. But he said, isn't it interesting how what defines our joy and happiness, what we'd sell everything for, is going to be the heartbeat of our life. And, and when did Jesus take a backseat to Michael Jordan? It was a great lesson for me about priorities. And I wonder if many of us, some of us who've grown up in the church a long time, and the blessings of knowing Christ are like the air we breathe. But I wonder if we've become so used to it, it's lost, it's lost some of that hope and joy. As we move forward, we think about what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven. What it means to be citizens of that kingdom. You see, the kingdom looks a lot like things that are insignificant. No one wants to hear about meeting Jesus, do they? It's all about Michael Jordan. Um, no one cares about tiny bushes. Let's go see a big tree. That's important. The question, again, is not in the kingdom of heaven about just learning about what it's like there or going to be here. But in some ways, think about this. What if you are that mustard seed? Um, I, I love being from Nampa. You know why? Because we are totally irrelevant to the world. Right? No one knows where we're from. Napa, Iowa. In, well, no one knows where Nampa, Idaho is. Right? Um, my wife um, works in the medical field, and she's with surgeons. And let me just say, surgeons are a confident group. I like professors. Fair enough, right? One of her surgeons says, yes, he lives in Boise. I get on the I-84 from Boise, and I head west. And as soon as I feel stupid, I know I'm in Canyon County. Oh, man, that's okay. I Canyon County pride, 2C. I'm, I'm out, come on with that, right? But it's amazing the lenses we wear. What good can come from Nampa or Caldwell, Middleton? Well, there was this little Nampa kid, grew up here. Went to this little NNU university, got a degree. And he found himself in Kenya. And he began to put on the eyes of the kingdom in some faraway, insignificant place among people who are forgotten by the globe. And he saw not only kids' faces, but saw their feet. And saw that many of them had on shoes that would have fit them four or five years earlier. 
But they had just to cut the tops off because they had their feet kept growing. And so this little student thought, what if, what, what if we could get him a shoe that might grow with him? Well, some of you know this is the birth of Kenton Lee's or the shoe that grows. One thing about this story that's fascinating to me that is almost as impressive as everything else, he had this dream. It took him six years before things really got going, before he kind of made even the first set of shoes. He had dreams and folks telling him, no, and that's crazy and silly and why do you care? But he had a burning passion within him that would not let him go. So the shoes began to be made. There were prototypes and different, they got better and better and better. To this day, go to that next slide, guys. Or, and women, right over there. Um, to this day, they have distributed over, I think, 300,000 shoes in over 100 countries. Not only that, they have a factory now in Kenya, I believe. Sorry, that text is way too small. Um, they have some factories where the factories in Africa have themselves creating jobs for folks in, the, in those countries, created 50,000 of those shoes. So in some regard, Africa can begin to sustain itself with these own shoes for its own people. But the dream didn't stop there. Because we begin to recognize this thing called the Pursuit Incubator, something like that, where they're then sponsoring and listening to other entrepreneurs who have dreams for making the world better. They need some support and encouragement. And so this, with this small idea of just having kingdom lenses on, the kids' shoes weren't fitting. Projects are sp sprouting up over, and, and again, in a small little mustard seed. Little insignificant kid from Nampa, Idaho, really revolutionizing with dreams to, to, to bless the world. A little closer to home. Um, a couple years ago, Mayor Bob Henry started the Healthy Impact Initiative for Nampa. Someone uh, thought I, should, I was bored and put me on a council and committee, and so I joined and uh, did not belong, didn't have the expertise that many of the women had. Somehow they didn't put me on. It's called the Food Access Committee. Some of you maybe don't know this, but um, to this direction right here, um, kind of our north and uh, east a little bit. It's one of the poorest areas of Idaho. It has some of the worst, uh, again, you, you go across over that, that Paul's on 11th closed. That then created one of the worst food deserts also in all of Idaho. It's right here, friends, in our backyard. So we said, how can we provide help? So we worked together, and we worked the Boise Rescue Mission, and we got this van, and we started a grocery shuttle. We'd go around to different people who had no transportation access, um, and we just picked them up. And we took them to Walmart and Winco to get prescriptions, to get some food, and what we saw is the groceries mattered, but we also met people for whom they were totally isolated. They were lonely. And out of this shuttle, they're going about, about two and a half years now, Really, a family has been born of folks who will call and care for one another, check up on one another, and that's still going to this day. About a year and a half ago, beginning of 2019, um, one of the persons on my a committee, um, her daughter, uh, said, well, it's nice that we have a lot of, you know, food banks around the city, but again, what about folks who can't get there? So what if we created a mobile food bank? So we call it the traveling table. So in, in January 2019, we put together um, this little uh, um, 
set of uh, uh, working with Idaho Food Bank and YCAP and others for distributions that go in several locations. We've gone to the Boise Rescue Mission area, Abita Nueva Nazarene, Napa Housing Authority, um, and sometimes folks who can't even get there will drive them the shuttle to there. Um, and again, it's, it's not anything major to this point. In a year and a half of traveling table, we've helped to feed over 8,000 people and over 1,300 families. Just small little things. And the question becomes again for us, what about you? What about me? Because I'm getting to be an old person. One of the things I know about people is they're pretty good at underestimating their value and their worth. When you look in the mirror, it's often easy to see about things you can't do. And to be honest with you, and I'm not sure about you all, in this season, as the wave of problems wash over us, it can be overwhelming. But God just asked, and some regard with that last slide, guys, um, what does it mean that you can be that mustard seed? To be frank, we are insignificant by ourselves. Right? God does not need you to be a redwood sequoia. He needs you to be a happy little bush. He desires that he could take you and plant you in places where there's not about getting attention. Perhaps no one will even know about it. And here's what I also know. Many of you are already doing this. In this COVID season, you're finding those who are who can't get out and delivering groceries or prescriptions. You're knocking on doors and through windows, checking up on people. We're actually calling people on the phone, not just texting. In many ways, many of you are already doing this. You're loving that student in your class, whom everyone else, you just know their home life is hard. You're knocking on this door and that door. Because you have kingdom lenses on, and all of a sudden you just see needs. And again, sometimes it can be overwhelming, and God just says, can I just plant you where you're at, and can you just do a little bit? It's not about your abilities to figure it all out, but God just says, are you available? I, I know it's hard. I, I know it's difficult. Sometimes we might want to give up, um, but the kingdom of God is here. Amen? And it's going to keep coming. Amen? We are a people of hope. With right, Micah, I think we're a prisoner of hope. Hope does not mean we bury our heads in the sand ignoring the problems, but we give those problems to God and say, God, this is huge. Where do you want me? I also know this. We serve and give not because our lives, we've got it all together. We don't serve to ignore our pain or hide our pain. We're available to say that our pain does not define us as who we are. Some of you are in a place where you are really struggling. Can I suggest one of the gifts you can provide is to reach out to friends and let them love you? Let them encourage you? There are seasons, I get it, when your cup is empty. Can you let others around you help fill and encourage some of you? And those of you whose lives are okay, are, are, can you put on some lenses? The lens of empire is me first. Power, protection, fear. 
Hands up. Lenses of the kingdom are hospitality. Open arms. Say, let me hear your pain. Let me love you. Let me just sit with you. And let's together find a connection of being loved. There are always seasons that are hard. And I hate to kind of say one season's harder than another. I know this season we're in right now is difficult. And I know it's uneven. How difficulty has landed. Whether it's jobs or health or everything in between. From regular life stuff too. I hope today you've heard that epistle from Romans. There's nothing that can separate you from God's love. It doesn't mean those things aren't going to come, by the way. But it means God's love is fierce. It will not let you go. And then our gospel text, the kingdom of heaven is like things that look insignificant. Like you and I. But that little with God can become much.